Hi, everyone. Just a short disclaimer before today's show. I was a little under the weather when we recorded this episode, so that necessitated everyone recording remotely. Unfortunately, there seems to have been an audio quality issue with the remote feed, so the sound quality of this show might be a little less than you're used to. Again, our apologies. It's my fault. Blame me. Also, I don't have COVID. I'm good to go. Enjoy the show, you wonderful listeners. In the second part of our series on Michael Jackson, we'll take a look at his child molestation trial of the mid-2000s, leaked copies of the police reports that came out a decade following that trial, and finally, the Leaving Neverland documentary that was released in 2019. We'll close out this series by discussing the lasting impact all of these allegations had on Jackson's legacy, and give our final thoughts on what we make of all this. I'm Mike. I'm Ian. And I'm Dave. If part one last week left you wanting more, stick around. As James Hetfield would say, we're off to Never Neverland. This is Necronomapod. I made it quite clear to the other jurors that I was going to be leaving the deliberation room knowing that Michael Jackson was a child molester. Are you haunted by the verdict of not guilty? No, I'm not haunted by the verdict at all. Michael Jackson was in a position to hire the best attorneys that could build a case for reasonable doubt, and they did that. But another juror, Melissa Harrard, is convinced Jackson is innocent. He was not guilty. There was not enough evidence. It's just kind of suspicious that, you know, they'd go ahead and do this so many years later when Michael Jackson's not here to defend himself. All right, Ian, you wanted it quite badly last week, so let's jump into it first thing this week. Right. Top three Michael Jackson songs. You want me to give my three? Well, Dave probably going to need about 12 hours to think <laughs> of something. But um, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, dude. Start with number three, please spare us all. All right, I'll start with number three. Pretty Young Thing. Doesn't The title doesn't feel great anymore. <laughs> but... <laughs> That's also the name of this episode, Michael Jackson Part 2, Colin. Pretty young thing. <laughs> that was about my pet um, doggy. I also meant Colin, not Colin. Came out weird, sorry. That's what you're Colin? <laughs> <laughs> Came out of your colon weird? To, we're off to a great start. <laughs> Say Remember the Time and Scream. I don't Damn, I don't even know those last two songs. Yeah, I mean, I, I did, probably I, would if I heard them. I pulled some... Uh, some some deep cuts on the Michael discography. Oh, aren't you I mean, I like all the songs. I don't. I literally there was not a Michael Jackson song that I don't like. But oh my, Dave, you got yours, or you want me to go while you think? I'm just scanning through this list of bad songs trying to find one. <laughs> Scream is the one he did with <laughs> Janet Jackson back in the day. I'm gonna go I with. Know, I'm uh, sure I'll know it if I heard it. Um, I forgot. I don't even know most of these songs. I like Rock with You. That's an old tune. That's good. Yeah, that's a good one. And black or white, I like. And yeah, I I, uh, I don't know. I guess <laughs> Billy Jean's all right. <laughs> Exhilarating conversation. <laughs> so those three, in no particular order, Mike. Okay. I might have even done my first one first. My well, number if you're, one I mean, first. You, as long as you say no particular order, then that's fine. Okay. You can get away. With okay. That. Thank you. Uh, my top three are all just 
greatest hits because I don't know a lot of Michael's uh, deep cuts. So number three, Black or White. Number two, Man in the Mirror. Number one, Smooth Criminal. Final answer, Regis. Good job. Good stuff. Yeah. So that's our top three. Send us yours or not or tell us you hate them. Whatever. Um, you don't give a fuck, do you? Yeah, I don't care either way. Some of your favorite, favorite Prince songs. I don't care. Send them to us. Whatever. It is what it is. Um, all right. So last week we left off after covering the trial of 1993 and... Michael was acquitted of his charges, and I think we all kind of felt that while he may have been guilty, that, you know, there really wasn't any evidence to actually um, uh, convict him of anything. Is that correct? Um, am I speaking properly? That's how I heard it. Much like Casey Anthony, they were both not guilty. It's <laughs> <laughs> <That's> very true. <laughs> Although Casey Anthony was just the one and done. I think we're going to have a little bit more uh, up and down here for old MJ. You might be right. All right, Ian. So let's get into it. Where we left off, sometime in August of 2000, Michael invited a kid named Gavin Arvizo, who had cancer and was in remission, along with his family, to Neverland Ranch. In 2003, ITV aired a documentary titled Living with Michael Jackson, where journalist Martin Bashir interviewed Michael over the course of eight months. Like we said last week, towards the end of that documentary, Michael and Gavin were on camera holding hands and talked about the sleepovers that they had. And we also said in part one, Michael said the quote, it's not sexual. We're going to sleep. I tuck them in. It's very charming. It's very sweet. Tuck with a T, not T. Tuck them in, Ian. Tuck with a T. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't hear a word Dave said. I just heard him go, tucking in the minute, tucking in the teeth and tucking in. That's what it sounded like on my end. I just wanted you to know it was Tuck and it wasn't a misprint there. Tuck him in. <laughs> yeah, don't be ignorant. I've been thinking about that all week is just ignorant. Every time someone says something, I'm like, that's ignorant. <laughs> New shirts. That's ignorant. We can do that. On the back, hashtag free MJ. So this, like we said last week as well, this immediately caused a media storm as soon as as soon as this aired. What is ITV? What channel? Is that a channel or is it like an internet thing? Do we know? Well, Bashir is uh, British, so I think it's a British Yeah, I think channel. it was something. So it was just know. like a British TV show? Okay. Like um, like their shit that has like the UF, that plays UFC stuff, like all their sports stuff. They don't have ESPN. They have Sky TV they have or Sky, whatever. Sky Sports, yeah. yeah. You mean you don't? they don't have USA Channel? USA Network? It's <laughs> hmm. weird. I thought we won the war, but okay. District Attorney Snedden, who previously investigated Michael, said publicly that under California law, sharing a bed with a child is not a crime unless offensive conduct occurs. But in June 2003, Snedden reopened the investigation into Michael. The research for all of this is from FBI file January 15th, 2004 to April 27th, 2004. The Los Angeles field office opened this file when it was asked by local authorities to provide forensic computer analysis assistance in a child molestation investigation in 2004. 123 pages were withheld to protect the identity of sources. September 14, 2004 to December 9, 2004, FBI files from the L.A. field office. This file was closed due to lack of witness cooperation. And then March 1, 2004 to June 29, 2005. This file involves a request made by the FBI's Critical Incident Response Group to provide advice and assistance to local authorities concerning this child molestation investigation. 
It's a lot of files. Yeah, there's a ton of files out there on this stuff. This is probably, I'll say this is probably the most interesting subject I've researched so far since we started this podcast. Reading all the FBI files regarding all this. It's very interesting. Hmm. And you're a Jonestown guy and you're still saying this. Yeah, this was this was very interesting. The investigation lasted a total of two years and produced 1,900 pages of grand jury testimony. In August of 2003, police interviewed Gavin, his mother Janet, and his younger brother Star. Gavin told police that Michael had molested him several times in February and March of 2003. His mother also claimed that Michael held the family captive at Neverland Ranch. On November 18, 2003, police searched Neverland Ranch and found nothing incriminating. A couple days later, on November 23rd, Michael was arrested and released an hour later on $3 million bond. Shortly after the arrest, he issued a statement where he said the claims were, quote, predicated on a big lie. Did they arrest him just based on the claims from the family since they found nothing in his home? Like, is that just what the what they used to arrest him? Yeah. Okay. The, I don't know if there was something else that came up or if they had found something else somewhere else. Yeah, I wonder what would be sense. incriminating, like Polaroids and videotapes of him with the kids, things like that. Child porn. Yeah, well, right. That's what. Yeah. Yeah. When we get into that leaked police report, we're going to discuss that a little bit. We'll discuss me uh, rolling the dice on Googling what exactly is child pornography and what isn't. <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> so, you been flagged. Yeah, we'll have a we'll have a conversation about this later on. <laughs> oh, we don't have to. Michael claimed that the police had mistreated him, and as a result, he received a dislocated shoulder. Michael made it clear to the public that he was not going to settle this case out of court like he did the nineteen ninety three one. Yeah, he's have any money left? Yeah, what did he give that guy like twenty five million? Yeah. On December 18th, 2003, Michael was charged with seven counts of child molestation and two counts of giving an intoxicating agent for the purpose of committing a felony. On April 21st, 2004, a grand jury indicted Michael on other related charges, including conspiracy involving a child abduction, false imprisonment, and extortion. If convicted, he would face 20 years in jail. Damn. Uh-oh. Mike, did you ever get in trouble for giving an intoxicating agent for the purpose of committing a felony? <laughs> Only Back if in the old intoxicating days. agent, you mean you mean the scent of this dick. <laughs> That's it. Once they got a sniff of that, they were that, intoxicated huh? with love. Love potion number nine. <laughs> uh, no, if you were hinting at did I drug anybody, I have never drugged anybody. <laughs> I want to make that very clear right now. <laughs> Come on. Statue of limitations passed. You can talk about it. Nope. Still <laughs> drugged myself many times with alcohol poisoning, but you know. In fact, you might do that today. Yeah, I'm working on it. Well, it depends how disgusting we get later in this episode. I might have to poison my brain with alcohol to forget some of the little nipple play that MJ seems to like. <laughs> That's a teaser, folks. <laughs> nipple play. The trial began on February 28th, 2005 in the courthouse of Santa Maria, Santa Barbara, It was presided over by Judge Rodney Melville. Melville dismissed 21 motions before the trial, banned cameras from the courtroom, issued a gag order for both sides, and saw a three-day jury selection. The jury selection ended up being delayed for a week because Michael was hospitalized for the flu. I mean, he looked very frail and sickly during this time. During the last one we talked about in part one, he had lost 10 pounds and, you know, got hooked on a lot of different drugs and 
And he wasn't was looking decade, any better here. That was a decade before this, right? Yeah. Like so that so he's still yeah. But he was kind of like that his whole yeah. Um, like life or like, you know, his, his career, his, his weight went up and down just probably if he was like strung out or pilled up or whatever. He was a skinny little imagine. man. Yeah. And I just want to point out, we did not need a gag order cause I don't even have a gag reflex. <laughs> <laughs> They're being ignorant, Michael. They're being ignorant. I know. <laughs> <laughs> District attorney, Tom Snedden led the prosecution and many people saw him leading this and going so aggressive at Michael this time around as like a form of revenge for failing to get charges in 1993. However, attempts to have Snedden dismissed due to bias were thrown out by the judge. Under California law, previous allegations can be used to show that the defendant is a habitual sex offender, regardless if the previous allegations went to court. Which I kind of feel like that's a little unfair in this case because I don't think that they really found any evidence. I think we all agreed on that. There, there wasn't really anything to the 1993 one that would hold up. Probably wasn't even enough to charge him to begin with. Right, but they could still use that against him in this. I don't Because it says previous allegations. It doesn't say in, uh, evidence. It doesn't say yeah, that's convictions. True. It just says allegations. So if there was allegations, then... Mm. I mean, I'm not saying I agree with it. I'm just saying that's what they're saying. That's a yeah. tough one. Yeah. I don't know. The judge allowed testimony from the 1993 case to show whether or not Michael had the ability to commit these crimes. The prosecution wanted to show that Michael had a pattern of molestation with young boys. The prosecution argued that Michael used Neverland Ranch to lure boys in to molest them and then flatter their parents with gifts to cause distraction. The prosecution also claimed that after the documentary Living with Michael Jackson, Michael's entourage attempted to hold the Arvizio family captive at Neverland Ranch and force them to participate in a rebuttal film. That's quite an allegation. Yeah, that's where those false imprisonment charges are coming from. Yeah, man, that's heavy duty there. You're never leaving Neverland alive. So once this went to trial, the witnesses for the prosecution were Martin Bashir, who interviewed Michael for that documentary, Living with Michael Jackson. He took the witness stand on March 1st. The documentary was played in full for the jury, and Bashir refused to answer questions for the defense, which I didn't know that you could do that in a trial, just say. Aren't you in contempt of court then? I've never heard. Right. What is that? It's not optional. (laughs) Right. He did it. That's interesting. Jason Francia, who was 24 at the time of the trial, testified that Michael had molested him on several occasions while tickling him. Francia's mother was employed as a maid at Neverland Ranch. He said that, quote, every time I was being tickled, there was some sort of exchange of money with the understanding that he would not tell his mother. In my opinion, just getting tickled is a molestation in and of itself. (laughs) Should be a crime. Tickling. Are you just anti-tickling in general, or are you saying it would be weird for a grown adult man to tickle some child that wasn't his? It's a horrible feeling to get tickled. No one should ever do it. It's awful. It's cruel. Dave, why do you hate laughter? I, I, it's false <laughs> laughter. There's nothing amusing I mean, about it. Visit from, Dave needs a visit from the tickle fairy. No, Dave does not. <laughs> Ralph Chacon was a former security guard at Neverland Ranch, testified that he had seen Michael performing oral sex on Jordan Chandler in the early 19 in the early 1990s jordan's the kid from 
last week's allegations. Okay. Right. Who got paid? Yeah. He got paid $15 million. He also said that Michael would kiss Jordan and grab his crotch. He said... He said he did not report the incident to the police because he thought he would not be believed. Hmm. Okay. So he just witnessed it, but still didn't report anything. Yeah. I mean. Okay. That's odd. I feel like, I don't know. I I know I would report that. I don't give a fuck yeah, if it you've was seen... Michael Jackson or who it was. Yeah. Right. You've seen a kid. Give an oral sex to a kid. I'd be like, hey, whoa, what's happening here? I don't know, Pally. FBI's seen your search history now. (laughs) (laughs) Adrian McManus, who was a former maid at Neverland Ranch, claimed Michael kissed boys, including Macaulay Culkin, and described Michael as touching Macaulay's leg and behind. She also claimed to have seen Michael grabbing Jordan Chandler's crotch. Both Chacon and McManus had been part of a previous lawsuit filed against Michael for wrongful termination from Neverland Ranch. After Michael countersued, their lawsuit was thrown out and deemed fraudulent and malicious. Chacon and McManus were also found guilty of stealing items from Neverland Ranch, amounting to more than $50,000, and were ordered to pay back more than $1 million in legal fees. Both had also sold their claims to tabloids, and McManus testified for Michael in 1993, denying he did anything wrong. Mm. This this is something that comes up in this story with Michael Jackson over and over again, because you get these claims of all this stuff about him. But then a lot of times there's like these weird things where these people have tried to sue him in the past for some shit. They witnessed him, you know, molesting kids and they didn't say anything because, quote, they didn't think they'd be believed. Like like last week we talked about the maids from the Philippines, but they tried to sell their shit to the tabloids. Now you've got these people who sold their stuff to the tabloids, sued Michael. We're going to talk about more 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 of this is this kind of stuff that's going to come up later in this outline too. So a lot of these main for- witnesses have a reason to to tell tales here. Interesting. I'm writing a pro list and a con list. Let's see where we end up. <laughs> Housekeeper Kiki Fournier testified that the Arvizo children became unruly at Neverland Ranch without authority figures. She said they trashed their guest rooms, and at one point, Star Arvizio held a knife to her in the kitchen. She said even though the boys had guest rooms, they often stayed in Michael's room. She also said she never saw Michael giving the boys alcohol and never saw them drunk. Why is she a prosecution witness? Yeah, that seemed like it would be more in Michael's favor. She had nothing to offer. Unless you're just, I don't know, trying to to make a point about the the kids' behaviors. I don't know. Like holding a knife to her. Maybe they were intoxicated. Maybe they were, you know, something. I don't know. But it is weird. Cynthia Bell, who was a flight attendant who served Michael, testified she never saw him share alcohol with Gavin. She said it had become custom to serve Michael wine and soda cans because he didn't like to drink in front of children. She said she never saw any contact other than Michael put his arm around Gavin while listening to music. She also included that Gavin was unruly during the flight and complained about the food. Wine in a can, always sunny, right? Yeah. (laughs) Come on, that's that's a great episode. (laughs) Michael had that down back in the day. (laughs) Or was he getting it so they could give it to the kids and no one would see them drinking anything but a soda? That's what I'm thinking, you know, because again, this one just kind of focuses on the kids being the problem, not him. Unless you're trying to establish that he was an alcoholic and, you know, substance abuse and mm. whatnot. Philip Lamarck, who is Michael's cook, said he entered Michael's room and saw his hand down Macaulay Culkin's underwear. 
So he wasn't Jesus home alone, sat- huh? <laughs> <laughs> Jesus Salas, who was a former house manager at Neverland Ranch, testified that a lot of times he saw Michael drunk and witnessed children coming up from the wine cellar with him, and they were also drunk. June Chandler, who is the mother of Jordan Chandler from the 1993 allegations, testified that Michael had become angry and upset when she would not allow Jordan to share a bed with him. She claimed Michael told her, quote, we're a family. Why don't you allow Jordy to be with me? Jordy is having fun. Why can't he sleep in my bed? Nothing's going on. Why don't you trust me? And that's when you take your kid home. You don't come back to Neverland Ranch. (laughs) Jeez. As we know, she did allow Jordan to stay in the same bed as Michael, and she claimed that she had received a gold bracelet from Michael in return. Also, during her testimony, she claimed that she could not remember being sued by Michael and that she had never heard of her own attorney. So she got a gold so bracelet know. for letting her son sleep it with Michael Jackson. Yeah, that's nice. Good trade. But she doesn't seem like a very credible human being. She couldn't remember the name of her own attorney. And so, well, good point. Gavin Arvizo was 15 when he testified. He claimed that after the documentary Living with Michael Jackson aired, Michael had begun serving him and his younger brother wine and making sexual advances. He said that Michael had masturbated him to ejaculation after they drank alcohol and told him if men don't masturbate, quote, they might rape a girl. Under testimony, Gavin was pushed on the fact that he told sheriffs that his grandmother had been the one to tell him the quote about raping a girl. Gavin also admitted that he had told his school administrator that it wasn't true. Michael did not molest him. One more or less or more uh, non-credible witness stacking up. The prosecution claimed that Michael had introduced Gavin to pornography. Fingerprints from Gavin were found on pornographic magazines belonging to Michael. Michael's defense pushed back on this, saying that Michael had caught Gavin looking at them and locked them up afterwards. It was also brought out in court that after Gavin was diagnosed with cancer, that his father was seeking out multiple celebrities for money. A couple more things in my con column. <laughs> the pro column, Dave, is that Michael's guilty and the con column is that he's innocent. Right. Hmm. You would think that'd be the other way around, but I feel like in this case, you're, you're, you're rooting for him to be guilty. Pro conviction. <laughs> which which will be different when we do Casey Anthony and the pro column will be reasons why she's not guilty. Oh, yeah. Well, there are, there's nothing and, in the con column. And, and there's nothing in the, yeah. nothing in the con column. No evidence. She's railroaded and she not. was found not guilty. Huh. Also, pro column, Dave, number one, smoking hot. <laughs> Top of the list. Yeah. <laughs> I would be her lawyer, too. I'd do it all pro boner. <laughs> she wouldn't have to pay me a thing. Jesus Christ. <laughs> Isn't that actually how she paid her attorney from what was in the tabloids that were that's the claims out there (laughs) yeah they started like did they did she actually pay him didn't they like start actually dating after the fact or was it just the sex allegedly i don't know no i think it was just the sex i i I think there was there's that quote out there about something where her lawyer told her like you owe me three blowjobs now or something (laughs) for whatever defense thing and that she was seen coming out of his thing out of his office naked oh damn damn I think I'm going to go to law school. KC. I'm going back to school, guys. Oh, boy. Anyways, people are going to be pissed. They want that episode bad. They're going to hate Dave and I when it drops. Just saying. Anyways. It's true. 
Gavin's younger brother, Star, testified that he had seen Michael molest Gavin twice. He also said that Michael masturbated in front of them, telling them, quote, everyone did it and encouraged them to try it. Come on, you won't go blind. You won't go blind. <laughs> Jesus can't see you. <laughs> he testified that Michael had touched him sexually and gave him wine and soda cans, which Michael called, quote, Jesus juice. See, I told you. Boom. What you he also us? What? Oh, the wine and the, the cans. Yeah. I'm sorry. I thought you were making a Jesus joke, Dave. I'm conditioned to believe such when you make jokes after we discuss Jesus. Well, I was going to say, isn't that what you called when you gave facials in college? Jesus juice. <laughs> he also testified that Michael had shown them pornography on his computer. Gavin and Starr's mother, Janet, was supposed to be the prosecution's star witness. According to media outlets inside the courtroom, Janet was a, quote, explosive witness who gave a combative and rambling testimony, made erratic outbursts, rarely gave straight answers, and used the same phrases repeatedly. Jurors also said she would stare down at them and snap her fingers at them. That's not how you win them over. Yeah, probably not. And also, lady. I'm confused. I thought his brother was the star witness. <laughs> <laughs> His name was Star. Get it? I got it, Dave. That's a thinker. That's a smart man's joke. <laughs> the defense was able to bring out that Janet had lied under oath during a previous lawsuit. The prosecution tried to bring in an expert on domestic violence to claim that Janet had lied because her ex-husband beat her, but the judge denied the request saying it would not be relevant. Michael's defense also presented evidence of Janet committing welfare fraud, which she was later convicted. So if that's the whole pro, the whole prosecution's argument, doesn't seem like there was a lot there. And a Shaky lot of, at best. Yeah, I a guess. lot of discounted witnesses with other, um, yeah, I guess motives you would say to lie. I mean, you're you're definitely thus far. There's nothing beyond a a, a reasonable doubt, you know, to convict him. I, I in my opinion, there's just too many questions. Yeah, a lot of things in the con column here. Witnesses for the defense. Macaulay Culkin testified that he had shared a bed with Michael Jackson on a dozen or more times between the ages of nine and 14, but had never been molested and never seen Michael act inappropriately. He said that his parents had known he was in Michael's bedroom and, quote, never saw it as an issue. He described shock at hearing the allegations that Michael had molested him and dismissed them as, quote, absolutely ridiculous. Culkin said that they had bonded over their shared experience of child stardom. Wade Robson, who we talked about last week, and we're going to talk about in a bit here, was five years old when he met Michael. He testified that he had slept in Michael's bedroom several times and had not been molested. That con list is filling up, Dave. It is. George Lopez testified that he had given the Arvizo family money when Gavin was diagnosed with cancer but came to believe that Gavin's father was more interested in money than helping his son. You mean George Lopez, like the actor, comedian, celebrity, right. correct? Okay. Right. That, that dude's funny. Didn't he get sick a few years ago? He needed a new kidney or something. Yeah, he needed like a kidney transplant or something like that. Because Larry uh, Larry had him on Curb Your Enthusiasm. He was That's asking him how right. to get to the top of the list to, to buy a the kid, donor to list. Richard Lewis a kidney. All right. Yeah. George Lopez funny. Lopez cut ties with the family after they became more demanding. He also said that Gavin's father had accused him of stealing three hundred out of Gavin three hundred dollars out of Gavin's wallet. When his father asked what he was supposed to tell his son, Lopez testified that he replied, quote, 
Tell him his father is an extortionist. Boom. I don't think George Lopez has to steal 300 bucks, man. <laughs> right? <laughs> I'm not buying it. Chris Tucker claimed he felt sorry for the Arviso family and bought them gifts and also sent them money. He said he felt they expected too much and were taking advantage of him. He testified that he warned Michael about that family and called them cunning. Cunning linguists like us. (laughs) (laughs) So basically, the the defense, their whole strategy was just to lay out that this family, yeah, the kid had cancer that was in remission, but they had laid out, you know, they were laying out this picture that this family was just trying to take advantage of celebrities and things like that. I mean, those are some pretty solid witnesses to show that they're just opportunists. Do you think that when the attorneys asked Chris Tucker to repeat some of his answers, he was like, do you understand the words that are coming out of my mouth? (laughs) That dude's funny too, man. (laughs) Those those Rush Hour movies are hilarious. Yeah, those are good. Didn't they make like 15 of them? They made a few. No. He was on Friday too, right? Yeah. yeah. You know, I've Friday. never seen those and I've wanted to. Oh, forever. my God. Friday's awesome. They're so funny. There's there's what, two of those or three? Friday, next Friday, Friday after next. Is there like three? That. I think there is three. Yeah, there's three. All right. I, I will watch those at some point. The jury deliberated for about 32 hours over seven days. The initial vote, nine jurors voted to acquit Michael while three voted that he was guilty. On June 14th, 2005, they returned a verdict of not guilty on all charges. Years later, one juror came forward and said it was his gut feeling that Michael had molested children, but not proved guilt beyond a reasonable doubt. Michael would never return to Neverland Ranch after he was found not guilty. I think their con list matched mine, and that was it. I I agree with that that juror. Yeah. I mean, your gut tells you that something for sure was going on because it's just a weird situation, but... They didn't prove beyond a reasonable doubt. Like, I have a ton of questions coming out of that. Yeah. I don't I don't think, you know, you can't convict a guy based on on that much doubt, my opinion. And that was the last one, right? He was never charged again for future cases or anything. Yeah, that was it. Again, I'm not saying he is innocent, but I'm saying based on the way that that trial went, you can't convict him. I don't think if you're a juror, a juror. You know what, Mike? We should look do a deeper dive now into some of that evidence that uh, was part of the case. All right, let's do it. All right. <laughs> we will not do a deeper dive on Casey Anthony. That's been resolved. <laughs> so in 2016, a leak happened with the police search reports from Neverland Ranch from back in 2003. A representative from Michael Jackson's estate gave the following statement regarding this leak, quote, everything in these reports, including what the county of Santa Barbara calls content that appears to be obtained off the Internet or through unknown sources is false. A representative for the Santa Barbara County Sheriff's Department gave the following statement saying, quote, some of the documents appear to be copies of reports that were authored by sheriff's office personnel, as well as evidentiary photographs taken by sheriff's office personnel, interspersed with content that appears to be obtained off the internet or through unknown sources. The sheriff's office did not release any of the documents and or photographs to the media. The sheriff's office released all of its reports and the photographs as part of the required discovery process to the prosecution and the defense. I wonder who leaked it. We ever find out, huh? No. I know you guys haven't. I didn't send these to you. I've had these for a while, 
back. I had these back. Well, I had to find them again recently, but I, I did end up finding them. On they were taken down off off a lot of websites. The full. Mm. But I did end up finding a really shady Google Drive link online, and I was able to get all 48 pages of them again. <laughs> so, so, so that's what I was doing there recently. I read all these again. In my opinion, if these are 100% fake, it, it would be they're really, really good fakes, and it would be extremely time consuming to fake these. But, um, you know, it's not impossible. I mean, somebody could fake these, I guess, if you had knowledge of what all these these evidence forms would look like i guess i i don't know you would have to have some police knowledge of the santa barbara county you know what their paperwork looked like for some of these documents right right so these reports deal completely with that search of neverland ranch in 2003 right right and what they said they said that nothing incriminating was found so like i said it's 48 pages long they include names of law enforcement that check out along with notes and letters written to Michael Jackson that have people's names on them. It's important to note that pages one and two are missing from the search report. There's also a seven page request filed to admit the seized evidence to show, quote, intent, plan, scheme and motive. Now, I sat back this when I did this last year, when I originally did this outline, I Googled every single name on that. In yeah. these reports, and they're all they all check out as government people or police officers out in Santa Barbara County. So if they're fake, somebody did their due diligence and made sure that these were all accurate names and you must you know, have all checks out Yeah, a real grudge, though, or an axe to grind. If you're going to go through that much time, you know, almost what, seven, eight years after his death to do that. Yeah, this, if someone faked this, they would be a pretty obsessed right. person. In the search documents, there it details a massive amount of pornographic magazines and DVDs found in Neverland Ranch, mainly in the master bedroom and the arcade area, with some found in briefcases. And I, I'm I'm not even exaggerating when I say it, it's unbelievable how much porn they found there. Legal porn, adult you know, yeah, adult right. porn, but still, it, just everywhere. It was it, like you go. There was a a computer briefcase. You know, a carrying case for a laptop just filled with porn, <laughs> like just everywhere. Well, I think you're exaggerating a little bit, Ian. It wasn't that much. <laughs> I think he's being ignorant, Michael. He's being ignorant. <laughs> I, there's nothing wrong with it. I mean, you could say irresponsible right. because you have a bunch of kids running around there all the time. But extremely. Well, I mean, now, nowadays, people just, for, you know, they don't have to have porn collections. They hide it all on Pornhub. So you I need your phone. You don't need briefcase what, of porn. Say, I said all you yeah, need is your exactly. phone. You don't need a briefcase exactly. of porn. Right. Dark days of the world back then. Start printing out those <laughs> start printing out that Pornhub search history. You'd probably fill up quite a few rooms, you know, I'm just saying. <laughs> it also details a lot of books showing nude pictures of men, women, teens, and children. But it's stated in the search documents that nothing found would be considered child pornography, at least at that time. There's a lot of like nudist magazines from the 60s uh. that were found, different things that you would call, quote, art that had naked kids in them, stuff like that. Mm. So just like everything else, like weird, but again, not anything criminal, like sleeping in a bed with a kid. Weird, but again, not criminal. Right. So just everything with him is just pushing the limits. Multiple times throughout the search documents, 
and basically after anything pornographic or the books with nudity were found, the officer gives the quote, based on my training, this type of material can be used as part of a quote grooming process by which people, those seeking to molest children, are able to lower the inhibitions of their intended victims and facilitate the molestation of said victim. Like that quote is after like almost every line throughout this whole search thing for a lot of it. Like introducing kids to, but you know, stuff that's not illegal, like nudist magazines or whatever you said, just to lower their inhibitions with the nudity and then kind of take it up right, a to notch like, from there. Yeah. To like normalize it, I guess. Uh-huh. Right. Just make them comfortable. And then, you know, when you're asking them to take their clothes off, maybe it's, you know, it's not a big deal. Okay. So these, these are the sections of this 48 that stood out to me. And this is where we're going to get into my sketchy Google searches. Quote, the next line of evidence I reviewed was item number 505. This item was described as being three books with photographs of nude and partially clothed children. This item was found in the downstairs cellar of the video slash arcade area. Upon opening the evidence packaging, I found the items to be packaged within a second sealed paper bag. I broke the seals on the second paper bag. Within this package, I found three hardcover books. The first book was titled Underworld, author Kelly Klein. The second book was titled Room to Play, author Simon Johan. And the third book was titled Drew and Jimmy, author John Patrick Salisbury. I googled some of these too. I'm going to be in jail right along with you. (laughs) I reviewed each page of the book titled Underworld and did not find any inserted pictures and or writings, which did not appear to be an original part of the book. The book contained numerous photographs of of partially and or fully unclothed men, women, and children. The majority of the pictures within this book are of people who were wearing only underwear. I reviewed each page of the book titled Room to Play and did not find any inserted pictures and or writings which did not appear to be an original part of the book. This book contained numerous photographs of children, some of which appeared to be in altered such as, quote, morphing, a child's face onto the body of an older person. This quote morphing was used to quote sexualize the photos by enhancing the child's anatomical features. Many of the pictures exposed the private areas of children. See, I didn't insert nothing. He said nothing inserted. <laughs> I reviewed each page of the book titled Drew and Jimmy and did not find any inserted pictures and or writings which did not appear to be an original part of the book. The book contained numerous photographs of two Caucasian male juveniles that appeared to be in their early to mid-teens. The boys in these photographs were primarily clothed with occasional photographs of them wearing swim trunk type clothing. None of the above noted books contained materials which depicted illegal activities, including sexual acts with children. None of the books would meet legal requirements to be considered child pornography. And then he gives the quote, the based on my training, the quote we talked about earlier. This is where I Googled stuff because I'm like, well, what is considered child pornography? Yeah, this is like softcore child porn. It's like the the Cinemax of kitty porn. Yeah. (laughs) They don't really show anything. So shortly after this trial happened and Michael was found innocent, you know, they said that nothing was found illegal in here. This room to play book would be considered child pornography now. Really? A days. It's on Amazon. But... There weren't any inserted pictures and or writings, but it contained numerous photographs of children, which appeared to be altered. Like it, it's illegal now to you can't put a child's face on an adult's nude body. Right. That yeah. would be considered child pornography. Now. Right. 
Which if, I, I think I question that. I don't know. Like you're really then making illegal what's going on in someone's head. Like there's no victim there. There's nothing real about it, right? Or even like computer generated images of children, the same kind of thing I think is also illegal now. What do you mean by computer generated? Like not an actual photo, but just a computer generated image depicting a naked child. But with an actual child's head on it? Huh. Just computer generated. Oh. Well, but from what like I understand. CGI. We're in these, CGI child porn. Okay. That I can understand. These other photos I thought were actual kids that he took photos of and then like superimposed their head on a different body. Is that not? Am I misunderstanding that? It was just fake children. Like it, they weren't real kids that he had photos of that he would put on like nude bodies. If this is a real leak, then this is all accurate. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they were real kids faces okay. put on adult nude adult bodies. Gotcha. Which that one then wasn't had. illegal, but now it would be illegal because you're using a real kid's face. Right. Yeah. On a real adult body. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. That's what I risked my Google searching for was to find so that what answer. If, what if a pedophile or someone with these thoughts were to draw just a picture of like a, a child or someone with childlike features na- nude? Is that okay? I don't know. Like what if you were to draw a picture of, uh, you know, a preteen naked? Would that be considered child porn? I wonder. Uh, I don't know. I don't think it should be. I don't know how you can do that. I don't know. See, Dave, there's another question we can do for our list uh, when uh, we have our lawyer calling show. Yeah, that's what we talked about. Yeah, let him risk his Google search search history now. (laughs) Didn't uh, Pee Wee Herman, what's his name, Paul Rubens, get in the same kind of trouble with like historical art prints or like um, like vintage Mm -hmm. pornography type stuff or having kitty stuff? I didn't. I didn't. I don't know. I Wasn't the he the one that, that was jerking off in a in a movie theater? Yeah. Like, in, yeah, yeah. That's yeah. all I knew about him. Yeah, something happened with him along these same lines. It, officially, it came out in the a trial publicly. Officially, that nothing illegal was found. And yeah, I mean, nothing illegal was found. It just, you know, if this is if this is all real, these leaks, I think it just further paints this picture of something very strange going on there, and especially. With that specific book, that room to play book, that's not something that, um, yeah, I don't know. That's not something if you have normal, quote unquote, normal sexual interests that you would want something that had a child's head imposed on an adult body. Yeah, right. I, th- I think I agree. I think I think the whole thing with this is you can't make the argument that you're a child, you know, in a child's mind, you just like to hang out with children. But then you have your whole house is filled with porn. Like you can ha- you can't have it both ways. <laughs> Either you're a child or you're an adult. But the, the porn overrides this argument you're making that you're just like to hang out with children because you're a child yourself. And it wasn't yep. even like innocent porn. Um, I'm just, I'm not even going to pull out the, I have them sitting next to me, but I'll just like off the top of my head, there was one called like pimps up, hose down. That's an HBO about, like, documentary. Hor- I've seen that. <laughs> <laughs> no, it really is. It's about the, <laughs> it's about the hookers at uh, Hunter's point in, in the Bronx. I've seen that pimps up, hose down. <laughs> there was there one is. that was called like human horse cocks. Uh, oh. I mean, there was some pretty hardcore that was named, porn that was named names. After me. That one was <laughs> yeah. Named after me. Like you could maybe make the argument of like him thinking he was a child and uh, if he had like some softcore porn, like maybe he was like trying to dabble in the idea okay. of porn. But yeah. no, this was like full blown <laughs> hardcore porn that was found around 
this wasn't just straight up like the Debbie Debbie does Dallas that everybody has. Yeah. This was or fucking like, yeah. horse Cinemax in stuff. your, in your yeah. asshole type stuff. <laughs> and then the second one was the other one that stood out to me because it was the only one on here that something was found within within a book or, or different picture was found within something. Mm. The next evidence I reviewed was item 1003. This was described as being a photograph of a nude male, which was found within the museum slash office area of the Neverland Ranch property. This item was an eight inch by 10 inch photograph, which appeared to be professionally produced. The subject within the photograph appeared to be a light skinned African-American male who was either in his late teens or early 20s. The pictured subject was wearing no clothing. The subject was covering his genitals with a red flannel cloth material. The next item of evidence I reviewed was item number 1004. This item was described as being photographs of unidentified males. This item was found in the museum slash office area of the Neverland Ranch property. This item consisted of 11 8x10 photographs, which appeared to be of professional origin. These photographs depicted two separate males that appeared to be in their late teens or early 20s. Both of the pictured individuals appeared to be light-skinned African-Americans. These individuals were posed in, provo in a provocative manner and wearing little or no clothing. The subject's private areas were covered by what little clothing they were wearing or by cloth material purposely placed to cover the genitalia. One of the pictured subjects was the same subject pictured in item number 1003. Each of the 11 pictures was individually numbered on their back. Also contained within this item was a Polaroid photograph of two Caucasian male juveniles. One of the juveniles appeared to be a younger teenager. The other appeared to be an adolescent preteen. The name, quote, Greg was printed above the child who appeared to be of teenage years. This subject appeared to be wearing a white terry cloth robe. The name, quote, Kendall was printed over the adolescent aged individual. The adolescent individual is bare chested. The picture does not depict the lower half of the children, so it cannot be asserted as to what they were wearing with regard to the lower clothing. The background within the Polaroid photograph was the same background seen throughout the other pictures booked into evidence during this investigation. It is a Hollywood-themed background with movie cameras, searchlights, and stars in the night sky. The phrase, quote, are you scared yet, and quote, ha-ha, were printed in the lower portion of the picture. That's not fucking creepy at all. No. Not even a little bit. Ha-ha. <laughs> <laughs> Where do you think it went? Ha-ha. <laughs> That's what he meant. It should be noticed I recognize the photographs described in items number 1003 through 1008, except the Polaroid photograph as being associated with the pop group 3T. I recalled reading a magazine article which discussed this pop group and their association with Michael Jackson. The article had some of these photographs associated in it and associated the photographs with a photo shoot for a compact disc cover for 3T single titled Why. So the 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 two individuals, the juveniles in that photo were from this group 3T? The two the, so basically okay. was I've never heard of 3T. Yeah, I have no idea. Basically, this guy, these evidence one one thousand three through one thousand eight were a bunch of pictures, envelopes, whatever of pictures of this three T group. But then, in the middle of all this, these pictures, these professional pictures of these guys, there's one Polaroid with these two Caucasian kids. Gotcha. 
and rose with these with these quotes written on them saying are you scared yet and ha ha written on the polaroid fucking creepy and and just pointing out that makes those the the 1003 1004 photos it doesn't say they were juveniles it says probably late teens early 20s right those are the 3t people right yeah well but i was talking about the one with the two caucasians where it says male juveniles yeah the ones that had the writing on it right the are you scared yet and the ha ha that's what i meant sorry I just wanted to clarify. I don't want to get sued for this episode. Sure. <laughs> That's all. I thought hey, you'd be a big fan of that. 3T, Mike. I, I've never heard of 3T. Oh. I'm going to look on iTunes right now and see if their single Y is available. So I, I pointed that out because basically what I just read there, like that type of evidence, it, it's tons of it. The whole thing is nothing but pornography, pictures of teens to children to adults all naked or wearing little clothing none of it would be considered illegal doesn't suggest yeah, this is stuff. the cover this is the cover it's fucking michael and them oh there you go <laughs> that's from wikipedia though you can't buy this shit they look pretty young the 3t album cover for why is very creepy mm, interesting google at your own risk but you know that's why i i pulled these two things out of it because like i said that one had the it, children's heads imposed onto adult bodies and then this one you know you go through this this whole document of of evidence and every time it says nothing was inserted uh, you know mm. nothing was inserted but then this one did have this really fucking weird creepy polaroid yeah. in the middle of all this stuff yeah so nothing illegal necessarily but it all adds up to a very strange situation going on there oh for sure all of this from since last week it just all adds yeah. up to something weird um, by the way, the members of 3T were all Tito Jackson's kids. Oh. They were Tito's three sons. Interesting. But they were really good. So, so Uncle Mike is what that was. What, Uncle Mike. What would your three T's? They'd be like tacos, Totino's pizzas. <laughs> and titties. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. So I, I was, like was going to say turns going left, but titties are just as good. <laughs> Yeah, I would I would replace tacos with turning left, Dave. <laughs> turning left, Totinos and titties. The three T's. There's a now that's a shirt that I would be the only one wearing. <laughs> Speaking of shirts, uh, that that new monkey shirt is awesome. I believe it's a Mr. Mug shirt, right? Mr. He's got Mug a name, shirt. damn it. He's not named on the shirt, but no, he's not. <laughs> Fucking hilarious! I love it. That is a good shirt. Available in ten different colors. The one we posted on the socials was orange because I thought it just looked cool and mm-hmm. different. But you can get that shirt in almost every color they offer on Amazon. Really cool. We'll be right back. Is there something interfering with your happiness? Something keeping you from achieving your 2020 goals? Let's face it; these are certainly trying times. From being cooped up inside your home to wondering how you're going to pay next month's bills, we're all experiencing some form of stress or strain on our mental health. And for that, BetterHelp is here for us. BetterHelp is an online mental health provider that will assess your needs and match you up with your own licensed professional therapist. The best part? No waiting rooms. That's a pretty big deal if you're as impatient as I am. BetterHelp is a safe and private online environment that will have you communicating with a counselor within the first 24 hours. And once you've begun, you can send your counselor a message at any time, always getting a helpful response in a timely manner. You even have the ability to schedule weekly video or phone sessions, all from the comfort of your very own couch. 
BetterHelp is available worldwide and has a broad range of expertise available, including licensed professional counselors who specialize in depression, stress, anxiety, relationships, sleeping, trauma, anger, family conflict, LGBT matters, grief, and self-esteem. In fact, so many people have been using BetterHelp that they're currently recruiting additional counselors in all 50 states. Not happy with your counselor? No worries. BetterHelp is committed to facilitating great therapeutic matches and makes it easy and free to change counselors if needed. Remember, everything you share with your BetterHelp counselor is completely confidential. And while it's not a crisis line, it is a convenient, professional, and affordable way to seek the help you deserve. Financial aid is even offered to those who qualify. Want to hear how BetterHelp assisted people just like you? Check out the testimonials posted daily on their site. Look, we here at Necronomapod want you to start living a happier life. So, as a listener, you'll get 10% off your first month by visiting betterhelp.com necro. Join over 1 million people already taking charge of their mental health. Again, that's BetterHelp, betterhelp.com slash necro. With my busy schedule of writing outlines and editing the show each week, planning dinner is something I always struggle with. Thanks to Green Chef, dinner planning is one less thing I have to worry about. Green Chef is a USDA certified organic company that lets you choose from a wide array of easy to follow lifestyles, including vegan, vegetarian, paleo, and keto. Everything is handpicked and delivered to your door, and ingredients come pre-measured, perfectly portioned, and mostly prepped. With Green Chef, it's easy to eat well and discover new recipes each week that you'll love to cook. In my first week, I received feta burgers with roasted red potatoes and lemon caper aioli with basil, cranberry barbecue pork chops with garlic mashed potatoes and sauteed Brussels sprouts, and orange sesame chicken salad. Green Chef is the most sustainable meal kit, offsetting 100% of its carbon emissions and plastic packaging in every box, with contactless delivery to your doorstep for easy home cooking. Go to greenchef.com slash necronomapod80 and use code necronomapod80 to get $80 off across four boxes, including free shipping on your first box. That's greenchef.com slash necronomapod80 and use code necronomapod80. All right, well, let's wrap this up by getting into the Leaving Neverland documentary from 2019. This is what caused all this to blow up on, on Michael Jackson all over again. And this is what made me even do this outline because I watched it and I'm like, you know what? I want to form my own opinion here. So I just started hmm. reading all the FBI files and then I wrote an outline that we didn't use for a year and a half. <laughs> that, that, that sat there, that sat idle for yeah. however long. Yeah, I just did that on my own just for the hell of it. So he died, what, in 2009? So we're talking about seven years later? Well, this is 2019. Ten years. Ten years. Oh, 19. That's that right. The, yeah. the Neverland thing. Leaving Neverland is a 2019 documentary film directed and produced by the British filmmaker Dan Reed. It focuses on two men, Wade Robson and James Safechuck, who alleged they were sexually abused as children by Michael Jackson. Director Dan Reed described Leaving Neverland as, quote, a study of the psychology of child sexual abuse told through two ordinary families groomed for 20 years by a pedophile masquerading as a trusted friend. So that's a pretty bold statement. It certainly is. Yeah. In the film, Robson and Safechuck alleged that Michael sexually abused them when they were children. Safechuck beginning in 1988 and Robson beginning in 1990. So we'll start with James Safechuck. 
he first met Michael Jackson in 1986 when he co-starred in a Pepsi commercial with Michael. Safe Truck was 10 at the time and wasn't really starstruck by Michael saying, quote, I don't remember being a huge fan. At the time, I was probably more into Voltron and Transformers. That Pepsi commercial really set Michael's career on fire, if I remember correctly, from, <laughs> from back then. After hanging out with Michael in his trailer, Michael called Safe Chuck from his Australia tour, and they arranged a meetup at Michael's Havenhurst estate in Encino, Los Angeles. There they watched the children's sci-fi movie Batteries Not Included before it came out in Michael's personal movie theater. Michael gave Safe Chuck the jacket he wore in the Thriller music video, and as he was leaving, handed him an envelope of full of cash. After that, Michael started hanging out at Safe Chuck's family's home in Simi Valley. And this was what I was talking about last week with the pictures of Michael and like the pajamas and stuff. Mm. They in the documentary they show tons of pictures of Michael just hanging out at their house, like he's just, just like one that of other kid, kids, yeah. friends, just yeah. like the last That's time. So odd, so damn odd. Also, how big was uh, Michael's home theater? I used to have a home it, theater. I'm just curious if mine was bigger. Uh, spoiler alert, <laughs> Dave, probably not. <laughs> In Leaving Neverland, they show pictures of the uh, the movie theater. It's fucking sweet. It's oh, like nice. It's better than going to the movies, oh, 100%. That the and he has movies that aren't even released yet screening in his house. That's fantastic. Is there a popcorn machine down there? Because that just caps it off then. Yeah, dude, it, it it was literally like you would go to the movie theater, like fully operational, everything. That's a snack if counter. Can, if you can design your own movie theater, then what do you have? Like, tell me what seats you're going to have, what kind of seating and what kind of amenities you're going to have in your your home movie theater. I mean, at least a couple rows of raised seating with leather chairs that go all the way back. Like leather recliner type leather chairs. recliners, maybe vibrating yep. chairs in case you need a massage during the movie. Oh, man. <laughs> A little table between them for your beverage and Absolutely. your snacks. Maybe a built-in yeah. fridge into the side there. Oh, now we're talking. Popcorn machine. All right. Although, if you get that, you just have a butler and he brings you popcorn. That's how I envision it. But a popcorn machine adds to the effect, I think. Oh, I think you're right sure. with that. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. I also think I like your idea about the little fridge. And then in it, you can keep stock like a mini bar. So, like, you have some beers. You have some little, like, you know, liquor bottles oh, in yeah. there. People want to, like, make themselves a mixed drink. Have some snacks in there. Probably a couple kegs but down there, maybe. There you go. Yeah. And next and next to the popcorn machine, I think you need to have like a little, like a candy concession stand. People can get their milk duds, their snow caps, their, oh, you know, GGBs or whatever, and uh, their, their uh, junior mints. Mm. And I would put in, in the back of mine, one of those urinal troughs for the men who just oh, like me, who need perfect. to pee all the time. Nice. <laughs> Women, sorry, you can... Use it if you want, but you probably, you know, probably don't want to. But for the men, you can do it. And above it, there's a mirror so you can still see the screen behind you while oh, you're urinating. Oh, that's not bad. And it's, like it's it. one of those troughs, so it self-drains. No flush, no distracting with the noise. You think of everything. Well, I think of the important things for, like, you know, people like me who have to pee every four minutes. <laughs> and I would also <laughs> make sure. Go ahead. Zoom's not working at all. <laughs> <laughs> And we're looking right at each other. <laughs> I was going to say, I'd also have a DVD copy of Pimps Up, Hose Down, so we could watch that. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> Ian, anything special in your movie theater that we didn't cover? Uh, no, that all sounded good to me. All right. Necro Theater coming soon to a town near you. Safe Chuck said, quote, he loved popcorn, 
Michael would come to our house a lot. Michael and I would take walks around our neighborhood, just talking and walking. It would be nighttime, of course, so he could sort of hide. It's more like hanging out with a friend that's more your age. The Safe Chuck family started joining Michael on trips, including a Pepsi convention in Hawaii. On the first trip, Safe Chuck slept in his mother's room and had his meals with her. His mother, who also appears in the documentary, described how her rooms were booked further and further away from Michael and her son on subsequent trips. Almost like it was, um, you know, the allegations from 93, how in other things where like he would get in between these kids and their family. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that's kind of what they the did. Yeah. Yeah. Like every. Yeah. Like she said that the rooms would just be booked like one time and she they'd be in separate rooms and further further down the hallway then eventually they're not even on the same floor anymore mm. creepy but i don't know then don't you go yeah you're my kid's not sleeping with michael jackson anymore right it's my kid i'll take my fucking <laughs> kid if i want to we're leaving <laughs> yeah, i have a hard time with this I don't, I don't know but at the same time as, as like the parent you're probably thinking this is like one of the most powerful men in the world and he's staying at my family's house and he loves my kid yeah like you you maybe almost feel like you have something to gain from it and and maybe don't even think that like oh there's something wrong you know maybe that's the furthest thing from your head looking back now we obviously see that and yeah you know in this day and age i don't think we would ever let that happen but i, I guess you can rationalize it in the sense that you know he can probably take your kid places and do stuff for your kid to further advance his life so whatever you right. have to tell yourself to sleep at night yeah you know? I'm not saying I agree with that. I'm just saying maybe that's what they're thinking. Later on, Safe Chuck began touring with Michael over his summer breaks, coming out to dance with Michael during the song Bad. And at that time, Safe Chuck was 10. It was when the tour took them to Paris that the alleged sexual abuse began with Michael introducing Safe Chuck to masturbation. Safe Chuck said, quote, he set it up like I'm going to show you something everybody does and you'll really enjoy it. It was like he was teaching me something new. And I remember my penis swelling up because I did it so much that first time. I remember dipping my penis in warm water. Michael filled up a cup with water so I can pee. It was hard to pee. I don't have any unpleasant memories other than not being able to pee. It felt like you were bonding in a way. The tour was the start of this sexual-like couple relationship. Yeesh. So he masturbated so much that his penis swelled up? Like he really beat his meat. Like... That's crazy. Like again and again and again and again. Yeah. And you're doing this with a 10-year-old kid. Unbelievable. Mm. Yeah, I forgot how gross the documentary was. And then I started pulling these quotes from it. And I'm like, yeah. Ooh. Not pleasant. Michael allegedly claimed to Safe Chuck that the 10-year-old introduced him to French kissing. So this kid introduced Michael to French kissing. Together, they established a private signal that scratching each other's palms when holding hands was meant to relay their sexual affection for one another. Safe Chuck said, quote, he said I was his first sexual experience. He was the biggest entertainer and he's a creative genius. And that creative genius thinks you're special. What's not to like, right? So he's just walking around in front of everyone holding this kid's hand like a 10 year old boy's hand. I mean, there, there is pictures of that him holding hmm. Safe Chuck's hand in public. I don't know how people just let this go on. It's very strange. Mm. I guess you got money, though, man. You do whatever you want, right? No rules. Wow. Uh, and from this kid's standpoint, like, he, he's right. Like, he's the biggest entertainer, creative genius. He thinks, you know, he thinks I'm special. So, he went along with it. You know, he made this kid feel good. 
No. You know how many clips I'm going to pull off for the soundboard off of this show? <laughs> for swollen penises. <laughs> As with Wade Robson, Safechuck describes Michael asking him to bend over and spread his buttocks, then masturbating. Safechuck also describes the lengths Michael would go to in covering up their le- alleged sexual activity, saying, quote, he would run drills with me where you'd be in the hotel room and he would pretend like someone was coming in and you had to like get dressed as fast as possible without making noise. He would tell me that if anyone found it, his life would be over and my life would be over. And that's something he tells you over and over again. It's just such a different level of abuse to put that on a little kid like that. I don't know how you can do that to a kid. Hmm. Yeah, if that's yeah. true, that really takes out the argument of michael viewing himself as a child and not understanding oh for For sure sure. yeah yeah because he clearly knows what he's doing is wrong here you know he's telling them this could ruin my life and your life and you know everything's over yeah i mean this is a whole different side from what we've heard about up until this point at the same time michael allegedly worked to distance safe truck from his family describing to the boy how evil women were including his mother safe truck said quote it's constantly reinforced too by everyone else in the world. It's really an intense feeling because everybody else is loving him. It's like everybody's on board. So it's very powerful. You start to think your parents are bad and Michael is good. The abuse really escalated to where it was like safe. Chuck described it just like happening all over Neverland Ranch in 1988 and said, quote, The routine was every night we would get a blanket and lay it down on the floor inside the closet next to his main bed so we could close the doors and have several sort of doors people had to get through. There was kissing and just sort of rubbing each other and then oral sex and then he would want me to suck on his nipples and he would finish himself. It would happen every day. It sounds sick, but it's kind of like when you're first dating somebody and you do a lot of it. Hmm. Man, every day. God damn. That line, when I watch that, that that line sticks out to me watching that documentary when he says that it's like being excited to date somebody and you just do it every day. It's like, who we're talking about a 10 year old child. Yeah, Yeah. 12 at this point. Right. Because they're talking about a never 88, 12 years old. That's unbelievable. (sighs) Hmm. What happened to Neverland? Is it empty now? Doesn't his estate still own it? Right. I I think so. I think they tried to sell it, but it didn't. It didn't sell. <laughs> no. Let's Spoiler, buy it. no one wants to live there. <laughs> Let's buy it. Cooldown Media now owns Neverland Ranch. I don't think we'll any of the rides them. are there anymore. I don't care. <laughs> we'll just live in the houses and make it our studio. Yeah. It'll be our West Coast studio. <laughs> are the llamas still there? <laughs> well, I would imagine not. No one's ever take care of them, Dave. It's animal cruelty. It's been enough horror going on on that, that those grounds. Yes, sir. Yes. Damn. Let's make them an offer of $100 cash <laughs> for the property. And then, like we said, the documentary focused on another um, another individual with allegations against Michael was Wade Robson. He's a dancer and choreographer. And he first alleged Michael Jackson was a, quote, pedophile and a child abuser in, 2000, in a 2013 appearance on the Today Show. Initially, like we we covered last week and we covered just a little bit ago, Robson claimed that Michael had never abused him. He said it publicly in, in 1993 and then testified in, in the trial that we covered just a little bit ago. But he reversed his position in that Today Show segment, claiming Michael sexually assaulted him repeatedly over a seven-year period beginning when Robson was seven years old. 
He said, quote, he's one of the kindest, most gentle, loving, caring people I knew. He helped me tremendously. He helped me with my career. He helped me with my creativity, all of those sorts of things. And he also sexually abused me for seven years. Robson first met Michael in 1987 after winning a dance competition connected to Michael's Bad Tour in Brisbane, Australia. That was the beginning of a long career in choreography for Robson, who would go on to choreograph music videos and tour dances for NSYNC and Britney Spears. Oh, one of Mike's heroes, probably, huh? I'm a big NSYNC fan. I know it's well documented on the show. (laughs) Did you look up a picture of this guy? No, you told me that last week and I meant to. Let me look it up right now. I'm pretty sure you would recognize him because he was in music videos and stuff. What the hell is his first name? Wade. 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 The fuck name someone Wade. It's Australian. Australian for beer. <laughs> yeah, I'm. I'm trying to think what I know him from. Like what specific? Dude, he I'm, I'm, looks like every boy band member ever. Like, <laughs> yeah, that is every boy band artist ever i'm not yeah i I, as soon as i watched the documentary i was like oh yeah fuck that's a dude from like the nsync videos and shit Mm. yep so after the two danced on stage together in australia michael invited robson and his family to disneyland so robson could dance in the australia day festivities at the park michael subsequently invited robson and his family to neverland ranch where robson and his sister shared the guest bedroom next to michael's room and their parents stayed in the guest suites away from the main house According to Robson, Jackson began grooming him almost immediately, saying, quote, My first day at Neverland was Michael making physical contact with me, like his hand on my thigh, hugs. Within the context of what was going on, it seemed normal. The days were filled with playing tag, watching movies. He taught me how to do the moonwalk. This contrast began between the day and the night. The alleged sexual abuse began shortly after, with Michael fondling Robson through his pajama pants, quote, I was seven, seven years old when this began, fondling my penis over the top of my pants, and then his hands went underneath my pants and started touching my penis underneath my pants. There was nothing aggressive about it, nothing abrasive. I never felt scared or anything like that. It just didn't seem that strange. And then him guiding me to do the same thing with him, moving my hands to touch his penis, which was erect. Him talking to me, you and I were brought together by God. We were meant to be together, and this is us showing each other that we love each other. This is how we show our love. It escalated so rapidly. So taking showers together and fondling and kissing. So him kissing me, full open mouth, tongue in mouth kissing. He would put my fingers on his nipples and tell me to squeeze them. He would moan and react to that like it felt good. This fucking nipple play thing has got to stop. (laughs) I don't love it, man. (laughs) first of all i'm like andy bernard when it comes to nipples extremely sensitive and like anytime i hear someone talk about like nipple play or nipple touching i get very like you get chafed just hearing it yeah i have to cover up my own nipples i'm just like oh stop it stop it stop it like you don't i don't know a man's nipples are not meant to be played with or touched with females if that's your thing go for it but a man's nipples are meant not to be touched like, if anyone tries to touch my nipples, I just start swinging. Not that people walk up to me and try to touch my nipples, but I'm just saying. No titty twisters for old Mike. It's a very specific go to the Anyways, I'm on a bit of a rant. I made, <laughs> I made that about me, and this is not about me. I apologize. <laughs> Michael Jackson likes nipple play with kids, which is its own other set of issues. So let's focus on that. <laughs> okay. <laughs> 
now fucking listeners are going to try to meet us and try to touch my nipples and I'll have to get arrested for swinging at somebody. <laughs> maybe electric clamps. Maybe that's your thing. Oh, oh no, stop. Oh, stop it. Oh, He's chafing. God. He's chafing right now, folks. <laughs> I don't like it. Oh. How do people get their nipples pierced? How do you deal with that? I can't. Oh, my nipples hurt now. Oh. <laughs> that episode of The Office where Andy gets nipple chafed. <laughs> I have to skip every time because I cannot watch it. It makes me so queasy. <laughs> That's great. Ugh. According to Robson, Jackson didn't ejaculate when Robson performed oral sex, but instead would masturbate himself to completion, saying, quote, he would be laying back on a pillow and have me go to the far corner of the bed and be on all fours and have me sort of just bend over on my knees so he could look at my anus while he was masturbating. And it was just kind of on display. And periodically through that, he would come up and stick his tongue in my anus. Right in front of me, there was this big kind of elaborate Peter Pan cutout. So I was either looking back at him masturbating or looking forward at Peter Pan. Don't love that quote that's, at all. That's got to be like premeditated by Michael Jackson, right? Like put something like fun in front of like where the kid's going to be bending over. No? Or is that just happenstance? <sighs> Probably. I don't, just, I don't know, man. Michael's alleged abuse of Robson was coupled with repeated threats against robson with telling anyone according to robson michael specifically warned him against trusting women in the documentary robson describes michael telling him that other people were too stupid and ignorant to understand their relationship and that both michael and robson would go to jail if they were caught the documentary further outlines how michael formed a committed relationship with robson going as far as to stage a mock wedding ceremony robson said quote he did this in his bedroom and we like filled out some vows it was like we were bonded forever. It felt good. And the ring is nice. It has a row of diamonds with a gold band. I like jewelry and I liked it as a kid. And I think that something that I enjoyed was used against me. So I think that causes some discomfort. It's still hard for me not to blame myself. And I mean, he still has the ring on in the documentary. He shows mm. the ring. He's got it. So it's a tough thing to live with blaming yourself like that when you were a little kid just fucking weird man so a few things going i guess going against some or that were left out of the documentary you know the people that defend michael come back with okay yeah in may 2011 wade robson approached john branca co-executor of the michael jackson estate following up on an offer to discuss the michael jackson cirque, cirque du soleil joint production michael jackson won robson wanted the job quote badly but the estate had already chosen someone else for the production. Robson stated in his 2013 complaint that we're going to get to in a minute that in April 2011, he had suffered the first of two nervous breakdowns followed by a second nervous breakdown in March 2012. In 2012, Robson explained his nervous breakdown was triggered by an obsessive quest for success. In his own words, his career began to, quote, crumble. Joseph Vogel criticized the documentary in a Forbes article writing that Robson tried, quote, shopping a book about his alleged sexual abuse by Michael Jackson. In 2013, Robson filed a lawsuit alleging that Michael had sexually abused him for seven years, like we said, beginning when Robson was seven years old. The suit reportedly was worth up to $1 billion. That following year, James Safechuck filed a case alleging he was sexually abused over a four-year period starting when he was 10 years old. He said he realized that he was abused by Michael Jackson after seeing Robson on, t on television. 
So that's what he's he's saying that he never realized that this was abuse until he was older and then saw Wade Robson come out about it. Isn't that and then crazy? It with him. After all yeah. those years, he didn't realize that? A probate court dismissed his suit in 2017. And like we said before, both men t- previously testified that Michael Jackson had never molested them. Safe Chuck is a child during the 1993 investigation and Robson is a child in 1993 and as a young adult in 2005. In 2015, Robson's case against Michael Jackson's estate was dismissed because it was, quote, untimely and should be dismissed. The ruling was not a judgment on the validity of Robson's accusations. Robson's attorney, Marianne Marzano, said the ruling would be appealed and the accusations would be pursued against Michael's business entities. In 2017, it was ruled that the corporations formerly owned by Michael could not be held accountable for Michael's alleged past actions. However, in 2020, Robson and Safechuck's lawsuits against Michael's corporations were revived by a California appeals court after California expanded the statute of limitations for child sexual abuse lawsuits. So those are current again. Hmm, That's interesting. Yeah. I think I remember reading some about that, too. In January 2019, the Jackson estate issued a press release condemning the film, saying, quote, the two accusers testified under oath that these events never occurred. They have provided no independent evidence and absolutely no proof in support of their accusations. In February of 2019, the estate filed a $100 million lawsuit against HBO. However, since Michael is dead, HBO could not be sued for defamation. Instead, the estate claimed HBO had violated a 1992 agreement that was to never disparage Michael Jackson's public image stipulated in the terms for broadcasting his concert film live in Bucharest, the dangerous tour. So Dave, have you watched that? that? <laughs> I watched it like an hour ago. So good. Oh, <laughs> yeah. You've been, you got the songs all stuck in your head all night. Right? Oh my God. They're so awful. I mean, they're so good. <laughs> I, I find it odd that maybe they signed a clause in 1992 just to broadcast one of his concerts that prevented them from ever saying anything again. That's how intense like the, 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 negotiations were for yeah. the rights to this concert that they're like we're going to slide into this uh, agreement you can never speak ill upon this yeah, man i wonder this man could kill his his wife and kids you may never speak yeah, right. ill of him if you sign this hmm. uh, a very very high up person with hbo was forced to resign over purposefully ignoring that 1992 clause and going ahead and running leaving neverland really really mm-hmm yeah, HBO was not thrilled with the fact that uh, I, I can't remember the guy's name off the top of my head, but that he pushed this through without, you know, acknowledging that 1992 clause. Oops. On the day of the HBO premiere of Leaving Neverland, because it was like a six part series that released on uh, every Sunday, Jackson's estate posted live um, like never before seen video or concerts of Michael on YouTube to kind of combat this to get people to not watch the <laughs> HBO thing. That's funny. <laughs> Fans of Michael demanded the Sundance Film Festival cancel the screening. At the Sundance premiere, Robson and Safechuck said that they had received multiple death threats from fans. Fans organized protests outside of Channel 4's office and internet campaigns against the film and a crowdfunded campaign placing posters with the slogan, quote, facts don't lie, people do, on public transportation. Jesus, these people are rabid. How do they know what happened? They don't know. 
Yeah, some of these fans are just insane. Uh, Michael Jackson has some very um, obsessed people. There's a lot of people very obsessed with Michael Jackson. When we posted our tweet last week about doing the this, this series in part one, our friends over at Pod Van Dam retweeted us and Ed left a not so uh, flattering comment about Michael Jackson and then texted me and said, watch this. And then within minutes got hate tweets from Michael Jackson <laughs> listeners demanding that he apologize for what he said. And uh, spoiler alert, he did not. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, Michael Jackson fans are pretty pretty intense. Huh. Interesting. Like, I love Michael Jackson's music, but I'm not going to go sending people death threats over right over stuff. I'm a pretty diehard fan. Like when I when I'm a fan of something, I'm a passionate diehard fan, and everyone knows I'm a fan of like that individual or team or whatever. When these kind of allegations start coming up, that's when I'm like, whoa, I'm going to back the fuck away. Like I'm not. I'm not going to die on this cross, like sticking mm. up for someone that I don't personally know that <laughs> might be, you know, fucking with kids. Like, that's just insane. I think your logic's solid there. I can get behind that. And I feel like the three of us have been quite fair to Michael up until this point in, in this series. Maybe even to the point of, uh, you know, people getting pissed at us for what we've said through the first two parts, kind of being lenient towards Michael. Because I did not expect to be that way when we went when we started this. Anyways, I'll save that for the end. Aside from his fans, you know, being very vocal out there. I mean, and that's the other thing, too, with this. I mean, you can go there. There's whole subreddits with tens of thousands of people subscribed to it that are, you know, defending Michael Jackson uh, with their arguments about why he's innocent. A whole chunk of the Internet dedicated to the fact that Michael Jackson is innocent. Um but there was some celebrity stuff that came out when this documentary was released. Uh, Corey Feldman, who we all know is my favorite. <laughs> um, Corey Haim over here, buddy. Corey Haim over here, pal. <laughs> <laughs> Ian's such a fan of Corey Feldman that if pedophilia charges came up against Corey Feldman, Ian would be very much against that and would speak out on Corey Feldman's behalf like these Michael Jackson mm. fans. <laughs> I'm just kidding. He would not. <laughs> just saying. He's one of these rabid fans. Ian's going to start his own uh, uh, Reddit page about why Corey Feldman's innocent. I also believe Ian has his own Reddit page about how every Corey Feldman movie is good. <laughs> be super aggressive. You mean to tell me the, the kid from the Burbs and Gremlins is molesting people? <laughs> But he accused right, well, he accused a bunch of Hollywood directors and then power brokers of, of, you know, essentially running a child's sex ring in Hollywood. Right. Yeah. I've heard him talk he, all kinds he, of shit about that. He's very adamant in his claims that him and Corey Haim were both sexually abused by multiple people. Yeah. Which goes to say something then if he's saying that Michael Jackson didn't do anything to him. It's a good point. Yeah, because in his opinion, he called it, quote, one sided and said that Michael never approached him inappropriately. He later on said because that media kind of ran with that. And he later said that uh, he said, quote, his comments weren't meant in any way to question the validity of the victims. He told Rolling Stone that his relationship with Mike was, quote, the standard grooming process that Robson and Safe Chuck describe. Everything was similar to what happened to me up until the sexual part. Well, that's a little alarming, though, also. So he went back on that, said, you know, basically the same shit happened to me. He just never got sexual with me. Yeah. 
one that caused a, a whole bunch of media stuff and still it's it's actually shocking to even read this fucking quote is Barbara Streisand spoke in Michael's defense saying, quote, his sexual needs were his sexual needs and that the accusers had been, quote, thrilled to be with him. She added that the accusers were both, quote, both married and both have children. So it didn't kill them. Well, that's not a very nice thing. Good to say. fucking Lord. Barbara Go Streisand. Go fuck yourself, Barbara Streisand. You're kind of a piece of shit. <laughs> <laughs> what is it from The Office? Ben Franklin, you're kind of a jerk. <laughs> Isn't that what he says? Or kind of a creep. <laughs> kind of a creep. <laughs> Barbara Streisand. God, what a scumbag. It's a, it's a bold statement, for sure. I, I mean, yeah, she's very bluntly saying... Hey, they grew up and were successful, so what if he fucking molested them? See, I told you, no lasting damage. It was fine. (laughs) (laughs) Like, I understand if you want to defend your friend, but, I mean, like, you have a publicist. Maybe run your wording by them first, because this is not the way to go about this. No. No. Thank you, though. Thank Uh, you. Madonna's was a little better. Uh, she said, quote, I don't have a lynch mob mentality. So in my mind, people are innocent until proven guilty. Are these people asking for money? Is there some kind of extortion thing happening? So she just didn't read the papers and had no idea what the fuck was going on. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Got it, Madonna. And then Joey Fatone of NSYNC, who had worked with Robson at the 2001 MTV Music Video Awards, he expressed some skepticism, saying, quote, at the time, it seemed like nothing was going on. That's the whole thing to come out later and have these repercussions. It's kind of weird and interesting because you never know what's the truth. But so Joy Fatone said nothing at all. <laughs> like, thanks for the statement. Now. You said nothing. Great. Yeah, I mean, just insight. Yeah. And then there's there's a bunch. Like I said earlier, there's like a whole section of the Internet dedicated to. You know, claiming Michael's innocent and everybody's lying. There's a film called Neverland Firsthand that investigates the Michael Jackson documentary that's on YouTube. There's another film, Michael Jackson Chased the Truth. And then parts of Wade Robson's 2016 video deposition were released online as a video essay titled Lies of Leaving Neverland. And, you know, this this deposition, the, the video, you know... They say it contradicts statements that he made in Leaving Neverland. Um, Robson. Yeah, that Ro- that Wade Robson made mm. in, in Leaving Neverland. So, you know, I mean, that stuff's out there. If you want to, if anybody wants to go out and read the other version. I mean, I feel like, like you said, Mike, we gave Michael a pretty fair shake with this. You know, maybe more lenient to him than some people have been. First of all, just based on that last thing you talked about with like the... um the the documentaries that like refute neverland or uh, leaving neverland like at this point i feel like just all this evidence is just so diluted that you know who the fuck knows what's what anymore there's so many you know people that have come out and said that things have happened but then you can go back and say well they didn't say it at this time and then there's these um you know like the neverland documentary and then there's these uh documentaries that come out and to try to disprove it like there's just so much out there that it, it's it's really difficult to like actually just get to the nuts and bolts of this this situation coming into this and i know i initially read the notes when you wrote them you know a year and a half ago but i think you added a lot more 
to it because we're going to make it a two-parter and you know you got a lot more invested in the research for this one like you said earlier you had a lot of fun with this one uh researching it um i 100 thought i was coming into this thinking michael jackson was a total piece of shit and was guilty and then we got through both of his trials and i think we all agreed that maybe he did it but based on the evidence that was presented he was not you know you you acquit him of the charges so yeah, this this was really interesting to me and in, in what was presented. And um, I 100 percent get why he was walking around as a free man when he died. And I, I don't I don't see how people could think otherwise based on the what we learned about the the trials uh, the last couple of weeks. That being said, I do I do think Michael Jackson was fucking around with kids inappropriately and sexually. But I don't think there was enough evidence to prove that in his two trials i think it's probably close to being accurate yeah i mean if anything at the end of the day even if he wasn't doing anything he's guilty of terrible judgment i mean once you dodge that first <laughs> bullet you can't keep doing that right you can't open yourself up like that <laughs> right so he Who? may be just guilty of being an idiot i don't i don't you know who's ever gonna know we're ever gonna know who had worse judgment dave uh michael jackson or the parents of these kids <laughs> Or all you can make a compelling case for both that they're at the top there because, I mean, come on. Well, it's weird, too, because I think leaving part one, part of me thought that maybe he was just, you know, mentally and emotionally stunted and thought he was a kid and legitimately thought that, you know, he was just hanging out with his friends and having sleepovers. But then you get to the those alleged police reports that we found or that were discovered and you know it, it goes into detail about him telling telling the kids that you know this could ruin both of us that was in the police reports right ian or was that in the documentary no that's in the documentary that was in neverland. that's what okay. wade and yeah i'm so i'm sorry i'm mixing them up so then you get to neverland and he's telling these kids you know they're running drills on how to hide yourself and that really kind of you know changed things for me because you know then you're looking at it like well this guy absolutely knew what the fuck he was doing and and you know was yeah. trying to yeah. hide it and manipulate the, the kids into thinking that you know it was going to ruin everyone's life i think there's probably something there behind this it's you know likely yeah i agree the thing that muddies up this story for me because that's why i like I, when i originally did this i watched a documentary like i said and i'm like all right I'm, i want to form my own opinion on this the thing that's that's weird with this story is all the accusers at one point or another before they make their accusations there's some type of a financial dispute or a selling of a story to a tabloid or some type of an employment mm -hmm. dispute that you could easily come back and say, okay, well, they're just going to, they're doing this for revenge, you know, because this guy's sleeping in bed with kids. It's easy to make the claim and he didn't give me what I wanted. So I'm going to accuse him of this and he's got a fuck ton of money. That's definitely possible. I agree. I don't put a lot of validity in the arguments that when people say, well, especially with James Safechuck and, and Wade Robson, that they, you know, testified for Michael all these times. And I don't know what it's like to be molested. So I don't know, you know, if you would defend that person for a long time and then it clicks with you eventually. Mm -hmm. I don't know how that works. So I'm not, you know, I didn't try to get interested in disproving their claims. I think just evidence wise, like you said, Mike, and you said, Dave, there, there was nothing to put him in jail over that That's I true. found yeah. that I read. 
Yeah. And that's what kind of baffled me is like, I, I, he is guilty of doing this shit, I think, at least to some of these people. But the two trials, there was just no, not enough direct evidence to, to, to convict him. At bare minimum, it's hot, like just insanely inappropriate. At bare minimum. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Sleeping in kids, sleeping in, in beds with just random kids. Of course. You know, if, if those, if the police reports, if that leaked police report is real and, you know, I don't know, there's too much smoke in with Michael Jackson's track record with all these kids to not be something, something going on, I would say. It's because there's smoke. I mean, there's fire. Ian. It's not always true. <laughs> Michael so. would know fire, right? I mean, come on. We talked about the Pepsi commercial earlier. <laughs> yeah. You would know. That was crazy. <laughs> Did we talk about... Uh, what were we talking about before we get on here? Oh, Bubbles. Hang, hanging blanket out the window? Oh, blanket. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, the guy we was talked about that. off. You know, hanging that kid yeah. out the window. Yeah. Like, if you watch that making or uh, living with Michael Jackson, that documentary... Yeah, his behavior in that is outrageous because that's when, you know, that Gavin kid, he's cuddling up with him, talking about sleepovers. He does hang blanket over the balcony during that. Martin Bashir's on the other end of that. Like he's inside the hotel room when Michael goes out and does that. Um, yeah, his behavior in that that whole documentary is like extremely manic. It's it's mm. weird. It's it's really it's like watching uh, someone with like bipolar disorder something acting very manic like he mm. goes into this um just like really high-end like decor place i can't remember what country it's in but like thousands of dollars like each pieces you know like these gold statues and all this shit and he's just walking around throwing fucking tags on stuff like i want this to come home with me I want this like he's just <laughs> buying up this whole fucking store hangs his kid over a balcony like Mm. it's that whole documentary is really off the rails that balcony thing is like we talked about last week that's what i remember from the tabloids it's just like seeing that picture of like or the video even on tv of him like holding this poor baby over the balcony and everyone's like motherfucker stop and he just did his thing also yeah. we've, been, we've gotten a lot of requests over the last couple of weeks people want to see the ultimate steel cage match mr mugs versus bubbles <laughs> who is bubbles is michael jackson's pet monkey um, spoiler <laughs> alert, Mr. Muggs wins every time. I I would I would say so. Yeah. There's recorded evidence that Muggs is strong enough to rip off someone's arm. Yeah. Jim, Jim Jones, Jones said it. Threaten threatened those kids with it. <laughs> and let's just say if Mr. Muggs had taken the place of Bubbles, he would have kept a much tighter fuck schedule and none of this might have happened because he would have Mr. Muggs he would have had have everything in line. With, yeah. He wouldn't have messed around with pedophilia. He'd be like, no, he's not on your schedule. You're gonna fucking bang an adult like a human being. <laughs> <laughs> it might be someone else's wife, but you're gonna bang you're gonna bang adult women, you know, or men or somebody, you know, whatever Michael wanted to do. But, you know, he was going to keep that schedule right. Mugs would have shut that would down. No, there would be no criminality involved. <laughs> Pedo-free schedule. Pedo-free yeah. fuck schedule. That's just how Mr. Mugs rolls. Pedo-free fuck schedule. <laughs> so All I right. guess I'm going to, I was just thinking it through my head one more time. So I, I would say my official opinion on this after everything. I don't think that he molested at least not Jordan Chandler and not Gavin Arvizo. I think those sit if you if those if the evidence is correct, I think Gavin Arvizo's family was probably looking for money to exploit things. 
and Jordan Chandler, you know, his dad was obviously very, uh, there's a lot of weird shit going on there with that anesthesiologist and stuff. Yeah, that's right. Implanting memories and whatnot. Yeah. Based on evidence, there's no evidence with James Safechuck and, and Wade Robson, really. You know, it's it's people online trying to refute and say that they have motive to do what they did. Mm-hmm. Stuff like that. And I'm not really interested in trying to, you know, say that these guys are making some, something up like that. You know, there's no evidence presented mm-hmm. with any of that. So, so you he was definitely up that- to something weird, though. I mean, there's definitely something going on, but I don't think that. I think that those two specific allegations aren't aren't accurate. So you think with the first two hearings, the ninety three and then the the two thousand what was it five two thousand four? Mm-hmm. Not only was that you agree that he should have been acquitted, but you also think that there was no sexual molestation conducted. I don't. Whereas I don't Dave and I both so. felt maybe there was, but that the evidence didn't support a conviction. You just straight up think um, that there that was not happening at that point. I I don't think based on if I just like based it off of everything that I read I don't I don't mm-hmm. think so okay. in my opinion. All right, split decision here tonight, folks. Well, but I think we all agree that there was still something fucked up going on be- behind all of this, right? I think that's what Ian said. Like there's still some. Y- fucked yeah, up stuff I, going I think on. for sure there was something. There's something going on behind the scenes with this stuff. Like yeah. I said, like you know unless unless wade robson and, and james safechuck got together and concocted this whole thing together these the these elaborate stories um you know their their stories are very similar and you know from watching the documentary i would say that the two guys are two of the greatest actors on the face of the earth if if it was all an act because i mean you can see james uh safechuck is like shaking like nervous talking about this stuff tearing up and so mm. You know, I think there's definitely some, in my opinion, yeah, that something definitely happened to those two. But I think it's also telling um, that one of the guys, and I can't remember which one it was, um, who he said that he didn't even realize that he had been abused until he saw the other guy come out. Right. Um, which is just crazy to me that, you know, and, and I believe it, but it's just. You were abused for all those years. You were a 12 year old boy and you had this grown man sexually abusing you, allegedly, and you didn't think anything of it until somebody else comes out and says, I was abused and here's what he did. And then you go look at your yourself and say, motherfucker, that happened to me as well. I guess I was abused, too. And it, that's just crazy how that happened. And I believe that that 100 percent happens all the time, unfortunately. I think you're right. I don't but, think that's um, uncommon. Yeah. Right. It's just crazy just how, you know. You don't often think, at least I don't often think about that. And it's just weird to, it, to put. And that's the kind around. of stuff that people, you know, online will use against like um, James Safechuck was like, yeah, you only came up with these this stuff after you saw Wade Robs and come out with it. It's like, I'm not interested in getting into that kind of stuff because I don't know. Right. What it's like to be molested or have that put on you. So, I mean, I'm, I'm sure like you said, like that does happen all the time where it clicks with people for you know something sure. for whatever reason eventually down the road but or you hear about people blacking it out like you know they block it out of their minds and they don't realize that it happened to them until something happens and it like sparks like a memory or distress of some sort and it's crazy yeah so yeah that's that's where that's where i land on it i think he I think he definitely was up to doing something you know he he definitely was doing some form of an ab- of abuse to people to kids so my last question for this one then is, in your opinion, your own personal opinion, 
does this always leave an asterisk next to Michael Jackson's name? You know, he's known as the king of pop, probably, you know, arguably the greatest pop star of all time is what he's known for. Is there always just an asterisk next to Michael Jackson's name because of this or no? I think it always kind of was next to his name, right? As soon as the 1993 stuff came out and then how the tabloids, you know, every weird thing that he did, he always kind of had that asterisk next to him. I don't think like there was all those calls to like take his music off of Apple Music and and do all that kind of stuff. I don't think I don't agree with that necessarily because there is no definitive proof that he did anything. Yeah. So, you know, I don't know. I guess at the end of the day, if you like his music, you like his music, I guess. I mean, I still like his music, but I, I, it does still pop in my head like, oh, yeah, he was super fucking creepy. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like that's what probably most people, you know, think. They still listen to his music and think, oh, well, there's a whole dark side to all this. Uh, Dave, any other thoughts on that one? No. Not really. He's he sucked he before. He sucks now. Yeah. He'll suck forever. <laughs> <laughs> Dave has that tattooed across his back. I don't think he sucks. It's not my favorite kind of music. Okay. Highly overrated. Okay. Ian, anything else for this one? We're good with Michael Jackson. We gave the people what they wanted. Those are the deets. I think so. Yeah. Well, we got a couple more big ones people have been requesting on no, the list. We got plenty of big ones locked up and loaded, ready to go at some point. <laughs> Certain guy from Anchorage, Alaska, on the list. Mm. We, we, we talked about him what two weeks ago. I don't Israel know. Keys. Mm. Oh fuck that guy, man! <laughs> so many people want that episode. <laughs> we will do it. I promised. We all promise. It's a necro guarantee. You're gonna get Israel Keys at some point here in the future. All right, we got some Patreon shoutouts. Um, New patrons over the last week. We very much appreciate your support. Shout outs to Scott Shiver, Javier Panduro, Jamie Cohen, Bix Blocked Me, but what an ass still, Aniva Revez, Denise Collette, Emily Cork, Katie Paul, Ratherat, Jessica Burns, Nicola Forster, Melissa Fowler, Courtney Patterson, Mr. Laycock, Sydney Stidham, Stidham and Kyle Dodge. Thank you guys very much. We appreciate your support. We are at patreon.com slash Necronomapod. Ian, what do you got? For iTunes, the only thing I have tonight is a name correction. It was supposed to be LMAO. So but thank you. Welcome for to the, the club of welcome to the club of name corrections. Yeah. That was the review that said we deserved an award. Oh, nice. Oh, I concur with yeah. that. Well, thank you, L.M. Mayo. And a Mayo, Appreciate too. Mike, it. you used to be Mr. Mayo in college, right? The way you painted those faces with the mm -hmm. white stuff. I mean, I don't want to brag, but yeah. Huh? <laughs> kind of. <laughs> it's true. I thought so. Um, all right. Dave, you got anything else? No. No. I'm a little under the weather. Right. I'm going to bed. That's right. And just for the record, give Dave some credit tonight, folks. He's been under the weather and he he powered through so that you guys could get Michael Jackson part two. Otherwise, there'd be no show today. So it's true. send Dave your uh, best wishes and, uh, you know, hope I don't have the COVID. Then you might I get hope the COVID. Not. Hey, not you know what? We take it. We take it seriously. <laughs> and that's why we're all recording separately tonight. Dave uh, messaged me earlier, texted me earlier and was like, just so you know, here's what I got going on. I don't believe they're COVID symptoms, but I was like, you know what? We won't take any chances and we'll do this all remotely. Smart. So. Smart. 
being smart. Because if one of us dies, then what are we going to do? Replace them. Oh, what? Not do the show. <laughs> Every Take a week off and replace them? That's, hey, here's an idea. One of us dies, $100 Patreon level, and we do a rotating... If you're if you write a hundred dollars, you get to fill in one week to be oh, on the show. Jeez. But if it's Ian that dies, the patron has to do the research. That sounds because good. Dave and I don't play that game. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I could do it every now and then for like a wrestler or something, but I think I've already blown my load on that with the two that we've done. Chris Benoit, Bruiser Brody, available on Patreon.com. Actually, I think we released Chris Benoit to the public, so never mind. It's true. Anyways. Dave will be fine next week. We'll all be back at it. And uh, yeah, um, we are on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, YouTube at Necronomapod, Patreon.com slash Necronomapod. Also, we have merch. There's been a bunch of new merch that went up. Amazon.com and then just search Necronomapod. Yes, we know there has been some political stuff that has popped up when you search us on Amazon. We don't control that. That's just kind of. Um, I think sponsored stuff that unfortunately gets put up on our page. So. It's because we get a lot of searches, so they're inserting the sponsored ads right in there. That's all. Hey, just shows people are looking for your is. stuff. Scroll past that political merch and just get right down to our Mister Mugs or our cool down beers or the skeleton hand drinking a brewski or our Ouija board or the occults or the logo, any other other fun stuff that's up there, but Amazon.com search Necronomapod, and if you are not in the United States, make sure you're searching the .com, and um, I know with the pandemic, they are not offering everything to everyone currently or shipping overseas in some parts, so bear with us. We do have an inquiry in with Amazon, and hopefully that'll get settled soon, um, but we appreciate your guys' support and checking all that out. All right, you guys ready for a cool down beer? Cheers. <laughs>